0: Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work and has an interesting story to tell. My guests today are Brian Martin and Elizabeth Williams. Brian and Elizabeth work at Big City Mountaineers, a Colorado-based nonprofit that transforms the lives of underserved youth through wilderness mentoring expeditions. Through partnerships with community youth programs around the United States, Big City Mountaineers exposes close to 1,000 youth per year to outdoor adventures in some of our country's most spectacular public lands. Not only do these young people learn outdoor skills, but more importantly, they learn critical life skills while also improving their self-confidence, communication skills, and leadership abilities. Prior to assuming his role as Executive Director at BCM, Brian enjoyed great success with a wide variety of conservation and outdoor-related organizations, including the Nature Conservancy, Continental Divide Trail Alliance, Colorado Mountain Club, and the Land Trust Alliance. Elizabeth was a teacher in India and Nepal before joining BCM as a marketing intern. Ten years and a lot of hard work later, she's risen through the ranks and is now the director of programs. Both Brian and Elizabeth share a deep enthusiasm for the outdoors and a belief that outdoor experiences can be transformative. Their passion for the work and for BCM's mission is palpable, so I know you'll enjoy getting to know them. I met Brian and Elizabeth at the BCM offices in the American Mountaineering Center in Golden, Colorado, and we had a very fun and in-depth conversation. We discussed BCM's mission, the details of their wilderness expeditions, and why outdoor adventures can be such life-changing experiences. We discussed Brian and Elizabeth's professional backgrounds and learned what drew them to careers centered around the outdoors and service. We also hear one of the many success stories in which a student overcomes her initial fears to thrive on a week-long wilderness trip. Thanks to Brian and Elizabeth for taking the time to chat. Hope you enjoy this episode. When you meet somebody for the first time, never met them, and they ask you that question, what do you do? How do you answer
1: that question? And Brian, you can go first. Uh, so uh, what we do is we provide um, free, fully outfitted, and professionally guided Wilderness mentoring, backpacking, and paddling trips for under resourced youth in cities across the country. Um, we partner with youth agencies to identify those kids mm-hmm. and we um, uh, work with them to tailor uh, and create a curriculum in the backcountry that can provide um, a real meaningful experience for, for kids that, you know, lack that opportunity right now.
0: Got it. And so you are the executive director. And Elizabeth, you're the program manager. Can you guys describe just a little bit about kind of what your day-to-day jobs are, and and kind of what when you come to work, what are you, what is the goal? Sure.
1: I'll- turn it to Elizabeth. Yeah. To answer
2: first. Sure, yeah. So I'm uh, the program director, so I actually oversee all of our program managers mm-hmm. across the country. Um, so my day-to-day, or what I kind of jokingly say, is I spend the money that Brian raises. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my job is really overseeing anything that has to do with our students, our volunteers, our risk and safety. Uh, a lot of logistics go into that. Um, and then as my role develops, you know, sometimes a little bit of Fundraising and working on our annual report right now, so a little bit of everything. But the core of what I'm doing um, really involves our involves our kids and our volunteers.
1: Great, great. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, because of the um, history that Elizabeth has here with BCM, we've been able to, you know, count on her for you know helping with so many different aspects of the organization because of the the track record of success she's had uh, here and, the you know, institutional knowledge that she brings um, day in and day out to the organization. In terms of my role, I've been executive director for two years now. Um, and, um, you know, it's a pretty traditional uh, ED role. Um, my job is to uh, certainly, you know, be the primary fundraiser for the organization, but um, also, uh, organize and work with both the staff and the board to uh, set a direction for BCM that um, helps us uh, not only accomplish our mission year in and year out, but also you know sets us on a trajectory for uh, increased success on into the future. Got it. So,
0: I've always been um, really interested in how people can you can build teamwork, you can build camaraderie, you can build confidence through outdoor experiences. I mean, that's been a big part of my life, um, my whole life. And so can you talk a little bit about that and how this specifically applies to some of the, the youth that you serve? And then kind of a second part of that question is, why, why do you guys think that these outdoor experiences are so powerful, say, compared to team sports mm-hmm. or something that you can get in the city?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so a few you know, specific ways that we uh, you know work with, uh, youth agencies to, uh, you know, provide these catalyst experiences in the outdoors, um, are, um, through, um, one, like I said before, connecting with, um, the, uh, youth agency coordinators or, or managers to identify a, a specific cohort of kids mm-hmm. that, um, you know, would benefit from, from an experience like this, um, we will then kind of sit down and work with that, uh, that manager or that counselor to, um, you know, craft a curriculum that would work for them in the, uh, in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, one example that we use a lot is, um, you know, our partnership with the I Have a Dream Foundation um, here in Colorado. Um, they're a nonprofit organization uh, whose me- mission is to um, provide uh, scholarships to kids who will be the first in their family to go to college. Oh, wow. And so we have a m- now multi-year relationship with them, where we've brought multiple cohorts of both boys and girls through, uh, our program, mm-hmm. uh, every summer. Uh, and, uh, we kind of, you know, loosely use the metaphor of climbing the mountain to college. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about the curriculum that will, um, Uh, roll out in the field with those kids Um, and so we work on goal setting and perseverance and overcoming obstacles that they might be facing um, both in the field and applying that to you know what it's going to take to overcome some of those obstacles and accomplish some of those goals specifically the larger goal of you know getting into a a college or university Mm -hmm. you know um, once they return home from from that you know outdoor experience sure um, so we kind of tweak and tailor, you know, each trip depending on the, um, the cohort of kids that we're working with uh, and use the agency's input and advice and how to um, execute that in the field. Can you give an example of, of an
0: agency, um, like, like a specific agency and the, maybe walk us through a trip and how that works from the time the agency contacts you till the time you go on the trip? You know, how long is the trip? How many kids are in these groups? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing.
2: Yeah, so we have a couple different kinds of programs. And so here in Colorado, we run overnight camps for 8- to 12-year-olds. So with the example Brian was talking about, we work with that Have a Dream Foundation, and they year over year can bring their 9-year-olds who are then 10, who are then 11, who are then 12, um, and go to this overnight camp. Where our goals, it's definitely a little bit more like a traditional summer camp of nature walks and team building games and, you know, cooking over a... Coleman Stowe for the first time. Sure. Um, and then some of those kids then get to graduate into our week-long programs. And that's really the core of what we're doing across the country. Um, our week-long expeditions for 13 to 18 year olds. Um, and on those expeditions, it's five students and five adults. Um, so there wow. are very few programs out there with that one-to-one ratio. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, of those five adults, one's a paid instructor who's right. overseeing the safety and risk management, the curriculum delivery. One of the adults works with the students year-round, so as a staff at the agency partner. and then three volunteers um, who are coming from all different backgrounds. Um, Avid outdoor enthusiasts who want to share their love of the outdoors, people who maybe have a ton of youth development experience but have never been on a multi-day backpacking trip and are gonna learn right alongside our students. Um, So three volunteers, that makes up our adult team, and then five students from that partner agency.
0: And I know you operate out of a lot more spots than just Colorado. Where do you? Where are the main hubs?
2: Yeah, we're headquartered here in Colorado, but run programs out of San San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis. We just opened up in Boston last year, oh, wow. and then have a small legacy program out of Miami. Um, but we're bringing those Miami kids to one of our backpacking locations out west.
0: And so you've been here ten years, mm-hmm. and so just in your time, have you seen the? The organization or the areas that you operate in grow?
2: We've really focused on growing within the areas. So we haven't added a region uh-huh. um, since I've been here, but have been running more expeditions in those regions. And as we're moving into our future, we're really looking to build all of those to reach kind of full capacity uh-huh. before we look into expanding to other cities, uh, just so we have really sustainable funding for those places um, and are really using all our resources well.
0: So when these kids show up, what percentage of them have? any outdoor experience at all? I mean, I'm not talking about camping, I'm talking about just any, like going hiking.
2: Yeah, very few. Um, for our students, you asked kind of what the full program model is. Um, on our expeditions, we do a family meeting first, and so we actually go to the students, bring full backpacks with everything they're gonna be used, and just talk about the experience they're signing up for. Um, and then we do a single-day kind of training program. So for our backpacking trips, it's just a day hike. For our canoeing programs, it's a day just paddling out on a local lake. Um, And for a lot of those students, it's their first time on a trail when they're out on that single-day kind of training program with us. And I don't have final percentages, but the vast majority of our kids have not slept outside um, before they head out for their week-long trip. So how does that
0: go? I mean, how does that
2: go for the first time? (laughs) Uh, You know, I think it's really terrifying for some of yeah. our students, it's really exciting for other students. We really try to transition them into the backcountry and so like I said we do that day hike first so they've had at least the experience of being up in the mountains and then the first night is sleeping either at a base camp or car camping. And yeah. so we're not hitting the trail and then throwing them out into the woods, but instead they're staying there with the van. There's usually a porta potty or an outhouse. So that first night is a car camping experience, and then moving into the backcountry experience. So I think that helps a little. Definitely. Um, but, you know, it's a huge shock. We have an old tagline that says the only way to change a youth's perspective is to give them an entirely new one. Yeah. So back to that question of, like, how is this different from team sports? And I think that's it. Like, we're moving them so far out of everything they understand yeah. that then like they're just kind of open to learning new things. And then we're giving them all sorts of leadership experience and really letting them own their experience uh-huh. Uh, and I think that's where the transformational power of the, that country really comes to play.
1: Sure, yeah that's a great point I think in a perfect world you know we're able to transition the kids uh, from a first half of a week-long uh, expedition where they're really learning and following the instructors and the mentors mm-hmm. to one where they're really owning the trip. They're, you know, setting the menu, they're doing the navigation, they're planning the, the breaks and the direction with which, you know, we're traveling. Mm-hmm. And so they really become, you know, owners of the expedition um, by the end of that that week-long, um, that week-long experience. Um, The other thing that I would probably say I'd be remiss in not mentioning, too, is that goes along with helping um, our kids adjust to, you know, a backcountry setting um, is all the the gear and equipment uh, that we um, are able to provide for them uh, on every trip. We outfit our kids from head to toe. Um, So you can imagine they, you know, kind of come into our office you know, with just their weekend clothes on, their gym mm-hmm. clothes on, and um, they walk out of um, uh, our office and into our vans uh, with everything they need to have a safe, fun, dry, okay. engaging time out there. So, you know, the Timberland boots, the Columbia rain jackets, the Therm-a-Rest mattress pads, the Kelty tents, the Osprey backpacks, all the things that will help them, uh, enjoy themselves out there mm-hmm. feel safe feel comfortable and yeah. um, and have a good time
0: well I would imagine that's a huge barrier you're removing a huge barrier by having that because one the expense obviously but two it's just intimidating nowadays more than any to go into an REI and try to figure out all this gear And if you, I mean <laughs> it's hard for me and I do this stuff all the time and so take <laughs> being able to take that out and say look we got that covered just show up and totally. we'll, we'll keep you safe and comfortable um, right. so I've done a semester in Knowles during college which was one of the most formative experiences of my life my wife has done three or four Outward Bound courses and I think in general people talk about Knowles is kind of focused on skills and Outward Bound is focused on um, personal development and in the end you know I think you end up getting, getting the skills and the personal development from both but that's just what I've heard is that those are kind of the focuses do you guys have a focus on one over the other um you do? Yeah, I'll let Elizabeth speak to that. Yeah, yeah. we're
2: definitely more into that, you know, personal development, sure. critical life skills. So our mission is to instill critical life skills mm-hmm. using the outdoors. Um, and so, you know, to that, like, that that we're bound. One way, knolls will do meal groups where it's only four people. So everybody really gets a chance to, like use a stove and cook for themselves, we're outward bound, and then also our model is group cooking. So, you know, somebody's cooking for all ten people, everybody's sitting down as a group, as a family, to eat. And so definitely more on the relations, rel- relational side, mm-hmm. but our students are still picking up some of those outdoor skills of how to set up a tent. Um, every student has an opportunity to be the cook, so they're using the stove. Um, how to travel as a group, how to use a map and compass. Um, we use what we call leadership um, roles every day, so over the course of the week, every student gets a chance to be the navigator, so they're kind of the leader of the day. The sweep, so they're in charge of making sure everybody stays together. Uh, they have some other responsibilities. The water master, so making sure the group's staying hydrated. Um, the cook, and then the educator. And so they rotate through those roles throughout the course of the week and then get to learn you know all the little ins and outs that go with them as they're in each role.
0: Got it. So when these, uh, these kids, they, they go through, they have this great experience. They, I know from my own experience that just how, what a huge amount of growth can take place in even just a week. And so how, do you have any systems in place for when they get home to ensure that these lessons stick? Because um, I would imagine that's, that's kind of the trick.
2: Yeah, so that's why we really rely on our youth agency partnership model. Okay. So these students are with a program year-round, and a staff person who works with them year-round is experiencing this, them, this experience right along with them. So when they go home, that adult, um, that agency staff is able to say, you know, six months later, like, oh, you're having a really hard time in your math class. What were the skills we learned on our backpacking trip? How do we apply those to now? So really relying on those agency partnerships Mm -hmm. for that. And then are currently, with our new strategic plan, developing some alumni programming um, and ways to re-engage students, especially those ones. You know, it's funny, because I see hundreds of kids come through our office, and some of them I'll talk to, and they're like, I'm so glad I went. I'm never going again. <laughs> Six months later, totally different story, yeah. but that day. And then you have kids that come back, and you can see there's a spark. Like, they know that this is a thing that they really loved. Um, and so how are we capturing those students is really a big thing that we're moving into the future, of um, giving them opportunities.
0: And so how do you guys measure success? I mean, I, I, I love Bill Gates, and I love what he's done in the philanthropy world. And he always talks about measurement. Mm-hmm. And I know Bill Gates doesn't have the answer to everything. And my wife's <laughs> in the nonprofit world, and she reminds me of that. But I think that's an interesting way to look at it, you know, because sure. if, you, if you can't
1: measure it, you can't manage it. Yeah. So what are the measurements? So we, we, look, in a, we look at a few things. Um, <clears throat> kind of first and foremost, uh, we kind of tier all of our measurement, all of our um, success to Um, a uh, a survey called the 40 Developmental Assets. Um, This is a um, a set of assets or attributes that we have internally to us or that surround us externally um, as support that, um, you know, basically um, study after study shows uh, that the more of these assets you have and the stronger you are in those assets, the more likely you'll be uh, successful later in life. So we, um, have plugged in, uh, our program, um, into this longitudinal analysis that's conducted by the search Institute, which is the, 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 nonprofit that's really looking at 40 developmental asset data, you know, obviously not just from big, big city mountaineers, but from youth development agencies all over, you know, sure. the country and have been doing that now for over 20 plus years. Um, and again, the idea is to look at um, these these assets, both internal and external, and kind of watch um, these youth grow in the strength of those assets, as well as adding assets to their life mm-hmm. um, over the long term. And again, the more that they have in those, the more uh, likely they'll be able to succeed uh, later in life.
0: Like, what's an example of a few of those
1: assets? Like, just some of the ones that are important off the top of your head? I mean, obviously they all are, but... Um, you know, self-confidence, yeah. uh, self-efficacy, resilience. Um, those are some of the ones that are, you know, kind of internal uh, assets. But then external, it's, you know, having um, a strong peer network and um, uh, and supportive role models. Um, and, um, uh, and so those are just a couple of examples of, you know, how we're um, kind of, uh, measuring, uh, you know, what our, what our youth are able to attain both, you know, through expedition, but then in that kind of transference back to the youth agency afterward. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we, you know, um, the, we, we provide them with a survey, you know, post ex, uh, pre-expedition and post-expedition and are able to kind of see, you know, how we're able to move the needle mm-hmm. uh, in those asset categories um, uh, before uh, expedition and, and once they come back home, got
0: it. So when you're measuring measuring it like that, I imagine you're doing it so that you can make changes. Do you have any exam make changes as needed? Are there any examples, say in the last ten years or so, of, of something new that you've enacted into these expeditions that? has been successful
2: yeah so we actually the 40 developmental assets is very much a personal growth tool mm-hmm. um and so fortunately for us because of our program model we've always seen success through that we also then are surveying on kind of program quality on a separate survey that we do with Got students it. It. Um, and that one we've definitely utilized for programmatic changes of you know one of the questions is you know i felt like emotionally supported and one year we saw kind of lower numbers and so really looked at our training as how to you know help our mentors be more supportive to our students. Um, And then as well as just, you know, retention, statistics of how likely are you to recommend this experience to a friend, both for our students and for our adults. Um, And then a lot of feedback that we'll also get on our instructors um, to make sure that they're quality people that we should rehire every year. Um, Come more from our volunteers than our students, but... Um, We've got a lot of paperwork at the end of every course for our (laughs) kids. So, 40 developmental assets, post-expedition program surveys, and then a lot of uh, qualitative feedback that we get from students, Mm -hmm. too. Uh, Really good quotes about, you know, what they learned from a mentor or why the outdoors is important to them um, that we're then able to use, both kind of in our external talking about what we're doing, um, but then for feedback for our programs and our course areas and that sort of thing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, a lot of debriefs after uh, expeditions are over with with our volunteer mentors, with our trip instructors, with our youth agency partners as well. And, you know, that kind of mixes um, with uh, the 40 developmental assets and some of the, the youth feedback forms that we receive to, you know, increase and improve our, our, our programming um, year in and year out. Got it. Um, I, would, I would also, you know, just say that I think another thing that I look for, um, as it regards um, the success of our program or a measurement um, of the impact that we're having or the importance that we're having um, in the space um, is, uh, is how many uh, youth agencies return to us year in and year out. And in that regard, we're doing very, very well. And so um, we see ourselves as really a service provider to these youth development agencies who could not you know, put on a trip like this on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so to the extent that we're seeing them coming back uh, time and time again tells us that they're valuing the service that we're providing to them.
0: That's great. So when you're thinking about the instructors or mentors um, on the trips, I would imagine just because you're really good at the outdoors doesn't out, – you have really you know, high-end outdoor skills does not necessarily mean you're a great teacher or a great mentor – um, they're just kind of two separate skill sets. So how do you go about finding that perfect overlap between the sweet spot between outdoor skills and being a good teacher?
2: Yeah. Um, I think the thing I love about our model is because, especially on the volunteer side, we are hiring, for lack of a better word, three volunteers. And so we're able to actually even mix skill sets. So sometimes okay. we do get a volunteer who is much higher on the technical skills and maybe not quite as good as at the youth facilitation skills that kind of thing we really work to pair them then with somebody who's very good at the facilitation skills and then they can learn with learn from each other um, and balance one another out and then of course our best mentors the ones that we like beg to come back every year really do have that good mix of loving to be in the outdoors but then being able to translate those experiences to our youth
0: i would guess that a lot of these experiences are equally transformative for the volunteers and the instructors. I
2: think sometimes even more so than for our kids. We get so many volunteers coming back and just saying, I had no idea that I was going to learn so much and change so much. We have a huge volunteer retention rate as well. Um, I think last year, 45% of our volunteers came back, but we also increased our program numbers significantly. Mm -hmm. So it kind of threw off our statistics um, that we've got... You know, huge return rates, which is really exciting, uh, and I think speaks volumes too. volunteers wanting to be back and have that experience again
0: yeah they say if you really want to learn something try to teach it to somebody (laughs) and so you know you you have to you have to be pretty confident in all the outdoor skills and the the self-development well and
2: our students are just really really amazing people Um, and so getting to be out in the field I think a lot of our volunteers sometimes come in to be like I'm going to lead a group of kids on a backpacking trip and actually come out very humbled because they learn so much from our students just about the world and their perspectives and that kind of thing that it's not not just about like being out and like being good at setting up a tent but I think our students are teaching our volunteers a lot just about how to you know exist in the world as better people
0: yeah so here in Colorado where are some places that you go on these trips um, I know you operate all over the country but just I, I will probably know some of the places in Colorado where, where are some places
2: yeah take the- so we operate under Forest Service permits so in Colorado we're down um, outside of Crested Butte up on um, like Kebler Pass kind of area, OB yep. Joyful Pass. Oh man, it's um, so pretty. Beautiful. Yeah. Then we're outside of Carbondale and Basalt in the Josephine Lake Savage Peak area. Um, and then up outside of Meeker up in the flat tops in Colorado. And <laughs> then we like hold the spots Yeah, and the then world. we hold forest service permits up in Medicine Bow as well, so we're taking some kids up into Wyoming. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. But really then we're, beautiful also, areas. You
1: know, we're also we're um, also you know, like you said, um Connecting, um, you know, these major metro areas to these, you know, beautiful, you know, regional, you know, public sp- public spaces. Um, here in Colorado, Elizabeth touched on you know the highlights, but you know we're doing that in the six other cities that we're operating in as well. Sure. So you know, with our Boston expeditions, we're you know visiting the White Mountains or the Presidential Range. Um, in Minneapolis, we uh, do eight day um, Boundary Waters uh, paddling uh, expeditions. Um, In the Bay Area, we're going to Yosemite National Park and the Ansel Adams Wilderness, uh, the Olympic Peninsula, the Cascade Range, the Eagle Cap Wilderness of the Willowas in the Pacific Northwest. So um, wherever we go, we're connecting uh, these youth to some really uh, incredible, awe-inspiring landscapes.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, everywhere you named. the, The Pacific Northwest is where I did Knowles. And that's where I got introduced to all of this. And yeah. It's just, gosh, the, the wildlife there is spectacular. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned the public lands, and I, I, I know that um, you guys rely heavily on public lands, and there's been all this talk recently about uh, disposing of some of the public lands. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Um,
1: yeah, well, just a couple. To... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, uh, just a couple of uh, days ago, maybe a week ago, um I put a um, uh, you know, a letter out uh, via our e-news to our uh, followers, just talking a little bit about that connection. I was lucky enough to get back to um, Washington D.C. with the Outdoor Industry Association uh, for their Capital Summit just a few weeks ago, where we got to you know uh, walk the hill with uh, not only you know nonprofit organization leaders uh, like myself. Uh, um, from around the country, but also, um, the, 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 vice presidents, the CEOs, the directors of, um, some of the outdoor industry's, um, biggest and best known brands, um, to say that, um, you know, public lands, uh, are critically important, uh, not only to, um, our natural and cultural heritage, but, um, to, uh, these businesses that, uh, I think, uh, the last, um, report showed, um, The outdoor industry uh, is uh, valued at $887 billion to the uh, American economy and uh, employs over 7 million people directly. Um, So it's a huge economic engine to be able to recreate on this awesome uh, outdoor recreation infrastructure that we have. Uh, And, um, you know, BCM obviously relies on it, um, you know, critically. We would not be able to do what we do. If we weren't able to uh, take the kids into this, um, you know, inspiring outdoor classroom uh, um, and get them into a place and space that um, allows them to, you know, uh, uh, disconnect from and, and, and think of ways to overcome some of the challenges that they might be facing back home. Yeah, I think I got
0: that email uh, from you and I, I'll figure out a way to link that on a webpage so right. people can read it because right. I think right. it's that's super important and timely um, to, to back it up a little bit. As we were saying before we started recording, I love talking, getting the, the backgrounds on the people I interview because everybody's got such interesting backgrounds and interesting reasons that they ended up in these, these cool careers. So where did you guys grow up, and how did you end up working for
1: Big City Mountaineers? Elizabeth, why don't you go ahead and answer that question first?
2: Sure. So okay. um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in Denver. Um, with a lot of time spent up in Estes Park and so it's definitely one of the kids that my mom kicked me and my brother out into the woods behind our house and said "We'll I'll ring the bell at lunchtime, and I'll ring the bell at dinner time and you have to come home. Um, so got to play outside a lot but very locally and um, we weren't big campers um, more a lot of local hiking um, but went on a backpacking trip my junior year of high school and just absolutely fell in love with this idea of backcountry travel and this idea that like this could be something I could do for a job like the guides on that trip were just you know so cool and I wanted to be that and so um, as I was going through college ended up guiding um, okay. so guiding backpacking and climbing programs at a local camp just up in Bailey Colorado okay um, kind of went through that got a little bit burned out though on the program side um, so I started nannying and then traveled extensively taught English in India, kind of oh, wow. in the Nepal region of India, um, for a while and then came back and thought I wanted to get into grant writing. Um, so I actually started Big City Mountaineers as a marketing and development intern. Um, but then realized I didn't really like raising money. Um, that's, and
0: that's what my wife does, man. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> She's really, good bit, at it. <laughs> It's tough.
2: Um, but yeah, so I missed the programming side and got kind of fortunate that a program manager quit right before the summer and so stepped into the Colorado program manager role, right. uh, ran our programs here for five years and then um, here in Colorado and then have been the national program director for the last three summers. That's great. Um, but I mean, just avidly outdoors myself and um, really love introducing people to. The outdoors, teaching friends in the outdoors—it's um, really where I spend all of my time when I'm not at the office. So, perfect. Yeah.
1: And
0: Brian, I know a
1: lot of your background. Yeah, well, um, I think if you had to kind of trace the origin back to you know what got me connected to the outdoors so much, it would definitely be uh, my grandparents on my mom's side. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time with them uh, growing up. Um, you know, summers uh, at their um, ten-acre uh, property in northeastern uh, uh, Pennsylvania, coal country, uh, Mount Carmel region. But uh, you know, a little bit like Elizabeth, just kind of tromped around uh, in that uh, neck of the woods for uh, you know years and years uh, with with my brother getting lost into some of those uh, hills and and uh, and cliffs, um, and uh, and and was always really impressed with. Um, Both my grandma and and grandpa's um, road trips, even into their um, 60s and 70s, um, would um, hop in the car and drive to California and back, you know, (laughs) and then show me pictures of where they went and what they visited and um you know when you're eight nine ten eleven years old and you're seeing pictures of giant sequoias and the grand canyon and you know rocky mountain national park and you're like wow my grandparents went and did that you know and <laughs> i want to go check that out too you know and i so, still feel
0: that way at almost 40 right <laughs> whenever right. i see those pictures so
1: <laughs> so they were real inspirations for me to um uh you know kind of cast my lot uh in the west and um After graduating from Penn State and doing a little bit of work uh, for the Nature Conservancy in Washington, D.C., I settled in Colorado uh, in uh, 2001 and have been fortunate enough to uh, stay uh, in the conservation and recreation advocacy space uh, for that entire time. And um, I'm just really, really proud and honored to have Developed as a nonprofit professional to the point where um, I can, um, you know, be an executive director and lead an organization as as great as uh, Big City Mountaineers. Yeah.
0: Well, you mentioned being fortunate and lucky, and I'll just say this for people who don't know you: you make your own luck because you're one of the hardest working people I know. That's the that's the thing that has always hit me from the first time I met you is you have always been laser focused and you're very good at what you do and you get it done but get it done in a very non pushy way that you're <laughs> able to you, you you it's pretty amazing it's been amazing to watch
1: you work thanks. so um, it's no surprise that you're that you're here <laughs> well thanks that's nice of you to say yeah, yeah. I, um, I I've just uh, always been um, you know kind of committed to these causes and and really never had like a fork in the road moment where I was gonna you know, do something different. Um, always wanted to um, uh, work on behalf of, um, you know, public lands, conservation of, of, of landscapes uh, and connecting people to those places because I, I know what it, what it meant to me um, growing up and, and how important I think it is uh, for, for all of us to have those experiences.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Brian, from in your two years here at Big City Mountaineers, what's been the biggest surprise about the organization? Um, if there's been one, when you started the job, I'm sure you had your ideas about how it was going to go, um, have, I'm, and I'm sure there have been a million surprises. <laughs> it's still probably a lot
1: different in great ways from
0: what you expected. What's the? Is there a certain surprise that sticks out in your mind?
1: Um, well, for me, I think the one thing that uh, has really um, surprised me has been, um, you know, just you know how uh, enthusiastic the the volunteer base is for for our work. I mean, once you um, once you kind of go out on one of these expeditions uh, and experience it firsthand, um, we have um, fans for life, uh, and so um, uh, keeping um, uh, that uh, excitement um, bottled a little bit is. Uh, has been a a little bit of a a challenge because we have folks who have connected to BCM now uh, over the 27-year history of the organization living in all these places all over the country. And so they call and say, you know, hey, we want to start a BCM here and here and here and here. And um, I want to say yes to all of those uh, phone calls, but uh, you also have to be, you know, a really thoughtful and pragmatic you know, leader that um, doesn't spread the organization out too thin or put us in a place where we would have to retreat or pull out of um, after uh, a season or two. Uh, and so, um, to me, you know, it's been that balancing act of um, getting people really fired up and excited about our mission and our work and, and encouraging that, um, but also staying disciplined in, um, and focused on. Uh, the cities that we're operating in and really growing our roots in those cities, um, you know, much, much more significantly um, so that, um, you know, if and when the opportunity really strikes to, you know, to grow and move into a new place, um, we've got this incredible foundation um, in the in the other cities that can, you know, help us um, succeed in the new. So
0: are there any, Overarching lessons for this is a question for both of you that that you've taken from living a life and having a career centered around the outdoors, education, service. Um, when you when you step back and look, do you, is there anything you guys know that somebody say who works at a has worked at a bank their whole life <laughs> doesn't know um, any you know just lessons about about life and the importance of being outdoors anything like that? Anything come to mind?
2: I think the first thing that comes to mind is how important, like, people are. Back to your very first question about this idea of teamwork in the outdoors. Um, And I think, you know, working in the outdoor industry, working in the nonprofit industry, and then just personally, you know, being, you know, active in the outdoors, that it's really more about the people that you're out there with and the people Vibrate. you're working beside, um, and the people that you're hiking or climbing with and your belay partners and your mountain bike partners and your expedition partners. Uh, and that, you know, I think that's what makes just life more vibrant is the, the people that you're spending time with.
1: I think that's a good one. Um, any from you, you? Well, maybe just to build on that, I think, you know, for me, um, uh, it is, uh, um, whether you're, um, you know, working in the for-profit space or the, or the not-for-profit space, you know, whether you're out on, you know, a, a week-long expedition or you're, you know, just kind of, um, you know, living a, an urban lifestyle, um, it is those relationships that you um, build over time that, uh, you know, not only provide you with that, that next opportunity, but also, you know, the support for the project or the uh, initiative that you're, you're currently working in so I think one thing that I try to do at, at BCM um, and, and really in life in general is to you know really foster as many really strong personal relationships as we as, as I possibly can because You never know when, you know, those relationships are going to, you know, come back around and and be incredibly valuable or you're really going to need to lean on them. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I think that that is one thing that, um, you know, a a life outdoors has, has allowed me to maybe, you know, reflect on a little bit more is just how um, important uh, personal relationships are to, to, to you and your success.
0: Yeah. I think those are all good points. And I think that. There's something about the outdoors and hard physical challenges that strips away a lot of the nonsense that goes along with day-to-day life. Sure. And I think that's why you can get to be so close with people. You go on a week-long trip with somebody and it's hard and challenging. Mm -hmm. You're better friends with that person than you are with a lot of people you've known for years. Yeah. Um, It's pretty amazing. I mean, there's a reason why all these banks and corporations go on these team-building retreats where right. they, you know, climb up ropes courses and stuff yeah. because it really is, it really, it strips that stuff away and it brings you
1: together. At least that's my opinion. Well, and I think that it's concrete too, you know, like you've got um, uh, an accomplishment, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day or a very specific, you know, lesson learned, you know, maybe at the end of the day. Um, you know, if you didn't read, if you didn't uh, um, get to the top of that mountain, um, you know, you took something away from that experience, there was a real reason that stuck in, that's going to stick in your mind for the rest of your life why you didn't get to the top of that mountain, you know. Or, you know, if you, you did accomplish that, um, that summit, um, you've checked a box and that is something that you, you can say you've done, you know. Whereas I think um, so many people's lives, um, so many, um, so many uh, jobs out there kind of, go on and on and kind of they're always in this kind of state of flux or ambiguity Mm -hmm. and there's real um you know solid kind of concrete you know goals that are that are either accomplished or not accomplished Mm -hmm. in the outdoors and i think that that is something that resonates with a lot of people when they you know come back from a, a trip
0: yeah that's very well put i agree with all that You were talking about summits, and I wanted to ask you about your Summit for Someone Mm -hmm. program. Can you just explain that a little bit?
1: Sure. Well, um, it's really uh, our um, uh, biggest uh, fundraiser for the organization. It's uh, a series of charity climbs. Uh, We put on uh, 12 to 15 uh, scheduled climbs of uh, not only North America, but select uh, international um, peaks, um, things like, uh, or places like uh, the Grand Teton, Mount Rainier, uh, Mount Hood, um, Mount Whitney. Uh, we've gone to Kilimanjaro. Oh, wow. uh, Elizabeth uh, actually uh, climbed uh, Pico de Orizaba, the <laughs> highest point in Mexico, for us uh, earlier this spring was uh, with a team of women.
2: It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. What is that, like
1: 19,000?
2: Uh, 18.4, wow. just over. Yeah,
1: that's, that's the real deal. <laughs> And so we, we, uh, have taken, um, you know, for, for, uh, uh, for lack of a better example, the race for the cure model, um, where, you know, you as a, um, as a runner or racer can, can raise money for, um, you know, uh, your, your charity through a 5k or 10k, we apply that to mountaineering, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, we, um, accept, um, uh, participants uh, who f- through reaching a fundraising goal, uh, we will then put on um, a guided climb uh, of that peak. Um, so um, uh, it's a great win-win for, uh, for BCM and for the, the climber or participant. Obviously, we're raising you know critical uh, funds for the organization to run our programming uh, year in and year out. Um, and then the the climber or the fundraiser gets that uh, that free guided climb uh, up that peak that they might not be able to do on their own they might not feel comfortable doing on sure. their own um, or has always been kind of one of those bucket list items um, for them mm-hmm. that now they get to uh, you know tick off
0: that 's great i 'll put a link to that because there's some there 's some pretty impressive mountains on there that you guys
1: are connected with yeah well, and I would just maybe kind of throw out another plug you you just touched on. Um, how so many companies are looking to do um, climbs and rope courses and team building events um, uh, you know out there across the country Uh, we can provide uh, custom uh, tailored uh, corporate climbs for partners um, that are looking to provide those team building opportunities for their employees you know, while at the same time folding in a, a philanthropic component to BCM. So, I didn't realize that. Um, that's definitely something that, uh, you know, we're we're digging into more these days is, is seeing uh, more interest from more companies who want to kind of blend those two things uh, and partner up with BCM to, to make happen.
2: I think the thing that's really neat about this one for someone in program too, like Brian was saying, is that you're raising money and you're getting to do this bucket list item, but standing on top of whatever that peak is, so be it the Grand Teton or Mount Rainier's, that you made it possible for a Big City mountaineer student then to stand on top of a much smaller peak, be it Medicine Bow Peak or, you know, Big Marvin Tales. Peak or an unnamed peak. Um, but we really try to associate those challenge days into our programs. And so you doing this, you know, big thing that feels like a big deal for you is making it possible for a really big deal thing to happen for a student. Yep. Uh, and I think that's really like, what brings the magic to the Summit for Someone program is it's not just about climbing a mountain. It's not just checking a box, but it's you know, using that box to make it possible for a kid to do something that they never would have sure. been able to do otherwise.
0: Do you have an example? I'm sure you've got probably hundreds, but example of a success story that sticks out into your mind when you think about this certain kid. You think that's, that's what it's all about. When I started doing this, this, this is what I dreamed of. Does any, is there any one, you obviously don't have to say names, but is there one that sticks out that you could share? Uh,
2: I mean, I've got a laundry list of them. Um, My most recent, there's actually two girls from my expedition this summer, um, but Issa especially was a young woman, 16 years old, absolutely terrified. So we got in the van, she was so quiet, like just, it wasn't that she was shy or uncomfortable, like she just really like, I think was very thoughtful about what we were about to do and so you know we talked a little bit in the van right out there first night was fine she did a pretty good job but about 15 minutes into the first day with our backpacks on uh, I was hiking at the back and we stopped for water and she turned around and walked over and just tears in her eyes and I've told a lot of kids that they could do you know you can do this and really done a lot of motivating but she's like I can't do this and it was really one of the first kids that I believed um, usually I'll, like, make them try a little longer. But I turned her around, took the brain of her backpack on, like, threw it onto mine just to, like, drop as much weight as I could from her pack because sure. like, the look in her eye said to me, like, she was not she was going serious. to. Yeah, she was serious. This is not going to happen. And so our first day, it was a lot of lows, but a couple highs. We came around this, well, first we were in this tr- awful rainstorm. So first day on the trail, <laughs> terrible rain. We come around this corner to more raspberries than I've seen in the wild in my entire in- entire career in wow. the outdoors um, just thousands like we were filling nail jeans full of raspberries for breakfast cool. the next morning uh, and just like brought the day up um, but then like kind of tanked again like she was having a really hard time first night out thunder and lightning storm pretty scary for kids first night we were safe but you know it's That's scary it's, it's scary yeah um, second day huge uphill hike and like similarly like it was like step by step with her like just one more step like we're gonna do this Um, we got to our summit day and similarly like one step at a time we kind of had this tripod where she had her hand on my hand on top of a trekking pole and then we both had trekking poles and so it kind of like three legged walk to get to our summit and we got to the top and she was just in completely different tears like tears of joy so excited um, just absolutely life changing and then we got to our last day and she was our navigator so was supposed to lead us out Um, and as adults we that day were like you all are in charge, like, we leave when you say we leave, we follow you. They'd made this elaborate plan. We woke up at 5 a.m. to do, like, a four-mile day, but the way they'd done the math, it was going to take us eight hours to get to our last campsite, and Issa was running down the trail like this kid who'd been absolutely terrified um who like could barely deal with scree like we're on this narrow stretch i was like ready to go up and help her narrow stretch of trail she just pounded right through we ended up making it to our campsite before lunch Um, they were all so proud of themselves um but more so, after the expedition, I've been able to t- keep in touch with East we we have stayed in touch with that agency. And she's now done three public speaking events for us, wow. um, something that all of her agency staff, were like, she never would have talked in front of a group. But after this experience of, like, really overcoming something she didn't think she could do, is she's now doing all these things she didn't think she could do. Um, so it's been pretty neat to see. I'm really hopeful she's going to come back on my expedition this summer as a peer leader. That's um, great. So... She's one of my favorites. And then from that same trip, um, a young woman named Luce, a little bit older, is actually coming to work for us this summer. we will be a staff person up at our overnight camp. Um, and similarly, on our summit day, she like kind of jogged by me and was like, I love this! I'm <laughs> in the mountains! And like it's really captured kind of the direction of her life. So.
0: And that's just two that you've sent I me mean, yeah, all over the country. That was just last summer. Every so, week yeah. uh, in the summer. That's
2: Man, that's great.
0: Um, that's that's a great story and I wish people could see your face because you could see the enthusiasm Um, I know uh, we're bumping on time and you guys have a lot more important stuff to do than keep listening to me Um, so I've got a few quick questions that I've asked pretty much everybody I've interviewed and it's good to kind of compare and contrast the answers are there any books that you guys have read or that you recommend to to others that have been very influential in your work or life or just just books that, that have meant a lot to you
1: Hmm. Well, um, none that kind of stand out to me right this very second. But uh, um, maybe to just kind of uh, kind of put a plug in for for BCM one more time. Uh, one of the uh, individuals that was really instrumental uh, in um, the the formation uh, of. Big City Mountaineers back in the mid 90s was a a founder, or the founder of Jansport, a guy by the name of Skip Yowl. And uh, Skip um, wrote a memoir uh, called uh, The Hippie Guide to Climbing the Corporate Ladder. I've read it, it's awesome. (laughs) That's one that um, uh, we have multiple copies of here at Big City Mountaineers and share with with new staff and with board members because um, Skip has a legacy. Yeah, um, within BCM, but also within the outdoor industry, and and uh, that's a real fun read. That's a great
0: book. I'd for, I'd forgotten about that. I have it on my shelf. I read it so long ago, um, but yeah, that's a great one. And nobody's good. recommended that. Yet. Sometimes <laughs> there's repeats on these things. Um, yeah. That's a really good. I have links to this on the website. Any for you?
2: Um, I think when we're talking about the work that we're doing specifically, there's a great book called Forever Changed, Mm -hmm. um, and I can't remember the name of the woman who wrote it. She was the founder of Summer Search. Okay. Um, And so Mm -hmm. it's all about her experience getting young adults from the inner cities out to summer camps um, and just absolutely how powerful it was. And I just remember reading it and being like, like, every chapter being like, yes, like, she like she gets it cuz she also started some of this model of like yeah. getting students who wouldn't have the opportunity to go out on these experiences. So that one's phenomenal. That's um, a
0: good one. I haven't heard of that either. Yeah, so.
2: that, it's great just kind of about why getting kids out to kind of summer camps. They're definitely more traditional summer camps, but sure. um, can be really transformational. Um, and That's then Summer exactly Search, just a really interesting organization. But I've got a couple of favorite just American West ones. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the question you definitely. put down. Yeah. Um, the Emerald Mile. Oh, uh, Kevin Federico, I read that last year. That's so one of the good. best
0: I've read.
2: Just absolutely amazing. Have you read that? No. You'd love it. It's It, so good.
0: it, it hits on. It's an adventure and it hits on water rights. It hits on water in the West. It hits on conservation in the West. History of the West. That was an amazing. Yeah, book.
2: it's it's about um. I'll, I can try to remember. I've got a copy of it. Oh, okay. Good. Um, when the Glen Canyon Dam almost failed in like 1980, oh, okay. the mid 80s, yeah. Um, and using that to so talking about you know damming in the West but then about these gentlemen who still hold the speed record for the Grand Canyon uh, because it was at flood and was really the closest to the Grand Canyon since it was dammed to run at a natural level. Oh, um, and so these guys in a wooden dory hold the speed record um, for, yeah, awesome. yeah, for it. It's a great book. It's great. Um, and Peter Heller's The Dog Stars, just about Colorado. F- fiction. I gave it to um, my
0: dad for his birthday, It's so i great. Read it. It's so good. Okay, cool. Yeah. i need you. I never read fiction, but... I need to read more. So. Well,
2: and if you're into the Grand Canyon, have you um, watched The Time Travelers? It just came out. It's a short video that Chaco put on no. about the gentleman who tried to break the speed record this year for the Grand Canyon. No. Um, it's a bunch of guys who love, live up in Carbondale. Oh, really? Uh, and it's about them trying to take on the speed record. Um, okay,
0: I'll put a link to that. Yeah, it's great. You well, should watch it personally. I will. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I will. I, I, I research all this. That's one of the reasons I do these interviews is because everybody's got all these cool <laughs> – Books and all this interesting knowledge, and if nobody else listens, at least I'll learn something. (laughs) Um, So that's that leads me into my next question: Any films or documentaries that have been meaningful for you guys?
2: I've got a bunch of like shorts that I love on the conservation side. Pay attention! I don't think I just was at the Five Point Film Festival. Oh, were you? Um, So I don't think this one's out yet, but there's a new documentary about the gentleman who founded the North Face. Tompkins Uh, Tompkins and his I had no idea like I mean he's basically saved the vast majority of South America and turned it into national parks um but very well done yeah
0: yeah he's an interesting guy um was an interesting guy now his wife is continuing that work yeah I think they just donated a huge chunk to the to the government down there um that's really that's a beautiful part of the world um what, personally, what is the most powerful experience you've ever had in the outdoors? And that could be funny, scary, just kind of cool. Is there any experience that sticks out? I used to ask what's the craziest thing that ever happened, <laughs> and I, I like that one, but there, maybe there's something that wasn't crazy. But is there a crazy one?
2: How long of a story do you want?
0: However long you want.
2: <laughs> one that comes to mind for me is my very first overnight trip as an instructor, so okay. I was 19 years old, never been out in the field with kids before, you know, done some backpacking, and we were up by Square Top Lakes, which Uh is just up across from, like, underneath Square Top, um, right across from Bierstadt and Evans. Okay, yeah. Um, Just a quick overnighter, but we'd settled in, first time camping for a lot of these students, and I sat down to do bedtime stories, like, I brought a couple books, and we're, like, drinking hot chocolate, and start hearing thunder, um, but, you know, don't pay a ton of attention and with other another new instructor it's just yeah. an overnight so our boss is like it'll be fine yeah. um and then all of a sudden we're like lightning all along the ridge line yeah. right above us like flashbang. so we're getting everybody like out in lightning position because this is how we've been trained like sure. everybody on lightning position so they're all out but everybody's getting soaked and it's dark oh, and boy. it's scary and so we're like okay everybody back in your tents and then I don't remember who, I'm not gonna claim responsibility, but somebody had the bright idea to pull out the center tent pole from all of our you know, pyramid tents so that you know we take the yeah. metal out. When you take um, a pole out of a tent, it's no longer waterproof because it needs that tautness. And so storm passes, but suffice it to say, we now have a field full of soaking wet kids, <laughs> soaking wet adults. Um, I like get everybody tucked away. At some point though, give away my sleeping bag. And I remember saying to my co-instructor, I don't have my sleeping bag, but I've got some extra clothes. I'm sure I'll be fine. So we all go to bed. The coldest night of my entire life. (laughs) We're like 12,000 feet. I was totally wet. Um, The two girls I was sharing the tent with both just went to either side of the tent. So, like, there's no spooning. (laughs) At one point, like, I just, like, tried to wrap myself in my sleeping pad. Um, Get up at 530 in the morning just to start walking laps around camp because it was so cold. Sure um go to knock on the boys tent to kind of see you know what's up for the day and still like i mean this was tw- almost 20 years ago but they all sit up all four of them just like cocooned in their sleeping bags get my memory there's like steam coming off it's so warm inside this tent and they're, like how'd you sleep i was like i didn't sleep i didn't have a sleeping bag i'm so cold and all of their faces just drop they're like we ended up with an extra sleeping <laughs> bag in here. We used it to sop up the water in the bottom of our tent. Um, so I learned a lot. My very yeah, first trip. So many. So many lessons from that trip. But oh, yeah. that's that's probably one that that's sticks out. One. Do you
1: oh have one Brian? Any that sticks? comes out? Um, well, there's a few. I mean, I, I I I nothing. I mean, I definitely have my share of lightning storms and rainstorms. One that comes to mind is. Um, you know uh pulling out our rain fly um as quickly as we possibly can while we're you know up at the boulder field um on long's peak is a you know massive you know hail and uh thunderstorm comes you know right over the diamond you know and you had minutes to react um and and that one was definitely going to stick in my mind for a long long time but i think you know um one of the uh one of the outdoor experiences that I really enjoyed, and and really I think kind of for me kind of uh, solidified my career uh, in conservation and recreation was being able to uh, work on the Continental Divide Trail. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I was um, the field operations manager for the Continental Divide Trail Alliance, um, I got to um, you know literally dot lines on you know topo maps and you know, see how that would connect to other sections of the CDT. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I got to spend a lot of time dotting those lines on maps and then going out and kind of field testing them. Mm -hmm. And so tromped around on a lot of, um, you know, um, uh, on a lot of cross-country travel. um, But saw some, you know, really incredible landscapes uh, from Canada to Mexico. Um, And now, you know, looking back on some of those trips... You know, now 10, 12, 14 years ago, now, geez, um, some of those sections are now newly constructed, 100 plus mile segments of the CDT that people are, are hiking on and enjoying. So I cool. love to be able to kind of think back onto those times and figuring out ways to kind of connect, you know, points on a map and, and, and then work with. You know, the Forest Service or the BLM or the Park Service to kind of connect those dots with actual trail, um, you know, constructed on the ground now.
0: Very cool. Um, next, the last question. If the people that listen to this podcast love the American West in one way or the other, whether it's through recreation or through ranching or through conservation, through art. I've interviewed some artists um if if you could make a request of the people listening to this, or give them some advice, just something that you think is important, uh, what what request would you make of the
1: people listening to this podcast? Well, for me, I'd say um, take a kid outside. Yeah, that's um, you know, uh, you know, I have uh, two boys that I try to you know get out a lot um, with, um, and uh, I've already seen in just their their young life how you know. Quickly and easily, they've connected to the outdoors and connected to nature, and and now have, you know, my sensibilities and, and love for the outdoors, you know, instilled in them. Um, and so it doesn't take a lot, um, but it's definitely an important thing to do. I think for every kid, um, and if you're a parent or if you're a mentor or you're an aunt or an uncle, uh, or even a volunteer with Big City Mountaineers, getting a kid outdoors is really, really important. Elizabeth. Really
2: Brian stole mine. That was totally. I think
1: think
0: that's. I think that's very important.
2: But uh, I think you know another thing that I've applied personally in my life is, especially talking to a bunch of people who love being in the outdoors, um, is go try something new outside. I think it's easy to get stuck into like, oh, like I, you know, I just hike like go be a beginner for a little while and i think that ties into then taking people out because i think it's then you're taking people to enjoy the thing you love you can pull on those experiences so i think for some of us who've been doing this for 10 15 20 30 50 years um it's easy to forget what it was like that very Mm -hmm. first time that you went out and so go find a way that you can kind of put yourself back in that very first time shoes Um, and then bring somebody yeah bring somebody with you
1: so how can people connect with big city mountaineers Uh, So they can obviously visit our website, um, bigcitymountaineers.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, And if you do visit uh, our website, um, be sure to uh, sign up for our e-newsletter. It should be uh, fairly easy to find uh, right there on the homepage.
0: Great. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Hey, it's Ed again.